You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is a harocha uh, for a great Talmud Chochem, Rav Yehuda Landi, uh, the impetus for this recording for this hesped, if you would call it this, although perhaps it's not proper to call it a hesped uh, as this close uh, to Yontif uh, in the month of Tishrei. Still, the impetus for this harocha of this giant was uh, pushed by Rabbi Lisha Paul, who is the head of school of the Rudd Torah Academy. Um, Rabbi Paul, it was uh, he, he knew the nifto, and he felt it was very important for us to do this. Um and I want to give him a chazakas teva for for basically helping arrange this. Also, of course, it really couldn't have happened without uh, David Slavin, who uh, not only was able to get the the speakers, was also really a, a very wonderful partner in getting this arranged. I'm going to get get I'm going to get out of everyone's way. We're going to start today um, with uh, a chavrusa of Rav Landi. Someone who knew him very well, um, and someone that I knew uh, myself many, many years ago, and a, 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 a Talmud Chacham of of great renown, someone who is the leader of a very important community in New York, the Young Israel of Staten Island, Rabbi Yaakov Leirfeld Shlita. Rabbi Yaakov, if you could please begin. First of all, Rabbi Kivilevich, it's a pleasure to see you, speak to you again, and thank you for doing this. Uh, there are many people that I'm looking at that I haven't seen in 45 years. I just have to mention one or two. Uh, Rabbi Blumenfeld, who was my Rebbe when I was all of uh, 14, 15 years old. Uh, then he wasn't known as the Mash. He was simply known as the Tzaddik and a remarkable Rebbe. And Rabbi Falk, one of my chavrusas going back to Beit Svafa uh, 50 years ago. It's a pleasure to see everybody. Um, my parents sent me when I was uh, 16, 17 years old to Israel to learn, and I went to a place called Itri. Uh, Itri uh, was renowned and had many different branches, and I went to a place in Chadera, Itri Chadera, and they did something unique. Itri Chadera used to have 65% Israelis and 35% Americans. They thought that the Americans can add something to the Israelis, and the Israelis could add, of course, to the Americans. Americans come with Gashmias, and Israelis had no Gashmias. Israelis uh, knew how to read Hebrew and knew how to learn more, and they were also not as Magushimdek. The Americans had a little bit more of a Simchas Chaim, and the, the, the synthesis, the Mizug of 65, 35, 70%, 30% was remarkable. And in that area, I met Haraf Agaon Yehudalandi. Um, many of the Americans there and Israelis took advantage of the fact that Americans can learn from the Israeli personality and Israelis can learn from the Americans. And many of us did learn and we changed our personality because each one gave the other type of a bachar something which they did not have. One of the most premier, remarkable students then, Rabbi Landy at that time was all of 19 years old when I got there, was Yehuda Landy. What made him unique was he spoke English perfectly. His parents made Aliyah. Uh, he was Israeli. He was a Masmid. He knew Shas, Tanakh. He knew everything when he was 19. When he began learning with such Hasmada, I don't know, but we knew that he was a genius. We knew that he was brilliant. But he loved the Americans. He loved the Americans. So if you needed a Bachar that can dance at both weddings at the same time, Yehuda Landy was that person. 
he wasn't just a good bacher, he was a fantastic bacher. He didn't just like the Americans, he liked playing football with us. He liked eating our food, he liked the way we dressed. And therefore he literally combined the best of both worlds. He made the Americans welcome and he showed the Israelis what it means to learn and enjoy the Americans. And he was simply remarkable. Uh, I remember when um, I was 17, my brother Moshe was 19, and they did learn, Yehuda Landi and my brother were Chavrusas. So when the Zman ended in, in Chadera, most Americans picked themselves up. They had no place to go, and they went to Beit Tzfafa. Beit Tzfafa was the Itri branch in Yerushalayim. And some of us stayed behind to learn. Chadera was out of the way. It was a great place to learn. Uh, there was nothing going on in the whole town. So I stayed. I had to finish the sugya. I remember walking into the best marriage, Ben Azmanim, and I saw my brother learning with Landy. Yehuda, we called them Landy, Yehuda Landy. They were learning uh, Horius. Two days later, they were learning Meila. Three days later, later, they were learning Saita. A week later, they were learning Nazir. So I bumped into Yehuda Landy, and I said to him, what are you guys doing? And you're all day and night learning. So he said to me, my brother Moshe, almost finish us. He was 370 blots short at the age of 19. And Yehuda Landi offered my brother Moshe, why not? Why run the Beit Fafa? Let's learn over here in Chadera. They were learning 14 to 16 blot a day. So when I say one day they were learning Harius, and one day they were learning Meila, and one day they were learning Sota, they were literally learning in that week and a half, two weeks, 370 blot that my brother was short. And Yehuda Landi, who already finished us, I don't know how many times, he sat with my brother day and night, and they were learning 14, 16 blot a day. I thought it was simply mind-boggling. Um, Rabbi Blumenfeld, if you remember, there was a place in Netanya that we used to call Nevet Zion, and the boys from Chadera was only 30 minutes away. We would go. We would go visit, and we would learn with you. We learned with you because you gave us food. In Chadera, Itri, there was no food. You gave us lepens. You gave us prigger. You gave us real food. And we went to learn with the Americans in Nevet Zion. Yehuda Landy licked it up like ice cream. To go to these Bachrim, a little bit more modern than the average Itri boy, and to learn with them and show them that you could be a first-rate Talmud Chacham. You could be a Bachar that knows Shas and Poskin, and they can touch him and feel him and play basketball and baseball with him. It was remarkable. They would ask him questions from anywhere Many of these Americans have questions about Ashkafa, about Shas, about history, and he knew it all. So for those boys in, in Nevetzion and us Americans in Chadera, there was a Bachar who was Israeli but spoke English perfectly, and he literally was a walking encyclopedia that he loved life. He had a Chiba Sachayim, a Simcha Sachayim, the smile on his face, whether he was learning or playing basketball or helping a younger Bachar or answering questions. But to touch someone when you're a bacher of 17, 18, 19, and there's a bacher who is holding in Shas and Tanakh and history and archaeology everything at once at 19, and he can come on a basketball court and he can laugh with you and joke with you, but then again, open up a Gemara and learn 30 blot in one day. It was something that was an anomaly that we all looked to him as somehow we can somehow reach him and touch him because he was so real. When I got a little bit older and I became a rabbi, um, I kept up with Yehuda Landy because some of his writings on archaeology and history is mind-boggling. I used him as a tour guide uh, for my shul. 
to go in Eretz Yisrael and walk with someone that is holding in Tanakh and Mishnayis and Gemara and Poskim and history and archaeology and walk through the land. And he'll tell you, he has articles on, on Hanukkah, on Yehuda Maccabi, on the city is Modi'in or Modi'in. Where do they fight? How do they fight? Rashi says in the Zosabracha that Yehuda Maccabi began with 12 Maccabim. And they had guerrilla warfare. And they tried to map out because they came. Uh, the armies came um, with 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 soldiers. And Yehuda Maccabi somehow broke through with guerrilla warfare. You walk with Yehuda Landi, Haravagon Yehuda Landi, and he'll show you where the battles took place. And he'll show you exactly where they gathered and exactly what happened. And he's walking with you, and he's not just telling you stories, he's living Tanakh, he's living Mishnayis, he's living the Gemara. So to go to Eretz Yisrael with someone who literally has all of this knowledge in the palm of his hand, and he's smiling, and he's laughing, and he loves it, and he's teaching, and you're walking, and he says, this was this was Derech Arvos, this is how they went to be Olerego, and this is where this battle took place, and this happened in Yericham, this happened in Tiberia. There are so many Mishnais, which of course were written in Eretz Yisrael, that discuss different parts of Eretz Yisrael, but it seemingly was so long ago. Your Mishnais, Reb Nasi, was in Sipari. You walk with Yehuda Landing, and he knows every figure in the Mishnais. He knows them personally, and in the Gemara. And it will tell you where they lived, and what they ate, and it will tell you all, half a shot on his fingertips. He made Eretz Yisrael come alive. I don't know many individuals. And I don't know at the end of the time how many times he went through Shas or Mishnayis or Minchas Chinuch, but he literally was a living, breathing encyclopedia through the eyes of a Talmud Chacham that spent so many years with his Hasmada and his Chiba Sachayim and his Simcha Sachayim. And he loved to give it over to walk with him in Eretz Yisrael. It became a place that wasn't just a visit for an American. It wasn't just as a tourist. You literally walk, thought you were walking with the Avos and the Imos and the Tanoim and the Amarayim. That is what he did. He gave of himself to anyone that wanted to be able to be close with someone who loved life, enjoyed life, and was able to bridge the gap and synthesize what it means to learn full time and yet reach out and help others. He was an American and Israeli, a perfect synthesis of whatever both the best cultures can have. That was Rabbi Landliv. So there are different tour guides. When you go with Harav Landi, you're not just going to Ir David. He'll tell you everything about David HaMelech and Bat Sheva and Shlomo HaMelech, where they lived. They will show you the tunnels. And you're literally walking, and you think you're walking, and the right side of you is David HaMelech. And on the left side is Shlomo HaMelech. And how they walked, and what they did, and their son Cherev on top of the mountains. He paints a picture for you. And he takes Tanakh and he shows you exactly where they were standing, what they did, what they ate, everything combined. And if you happen to have a question on the side, where is this Gemara or where is this mentioned somewhere? He knows it all. He was a rare, unique individual. And as Rashi says in the beginning of there were some people that leave this world, his personality, his learning, his encyclopedic knowledge, he was brilliant, his memory, his everything about him rolled into one. He was a beautiful, perfect individual. I don't know where we're going to find when I go to Israel again with my show and I need a tour guide or I need to call someone up for something found in Shas 
or just to get a laugh or a joke, he was a most remarkable, well-rounded individual. Chaval al Avdin, because I don't know if they make him like they used to. He was a remarkable... have um, Rab David Slavin, who uh, was a chaver of Rav Landi, and has now become a ram in Yeshivas Nevei Tzion. And as I said, Hakar uh, Satov to Rab David for arranging um, two of the other speakers uh, who are yet to come, Rav Blumenfeld Shlita and uh, Rav Agoyen Rav, Rav Eichenstein Shlita. So, uh, Rav Slavin, if you would, please. Shalom Aleichem, Rav Avram. Shukrach to Alicia for uh, getting this going. Uh, and to Rav Yaakov, beautiful words. I guess after, you know, Rav Yaakov spoke, I, I guess I have not much left to say. I'll just say first a few personal um, encounters I had with Rav Landi. Uh, as a young kid from L.A., Coming to uh, Neve in 1981, I think was the first time I, I met Rablandi. Uh, I was uh, very far removed from a real Torah Yiddishkeit. I mean, we had Shabbos and Kashrus, but who knew about learning? For us, you know, learning was uh, for the rabbis, you know. And the Neve at that time, at that time, there the motto of Neve was to learn to love learning. And that's what all the Rebbeim strive for. But to have, see a Rebbe sometimes far away and you don't necessarily know how you could relate to the Rebbe. But like Rabbi Yaakov was saying, you had somebody living. I was zoked to have him in, in the dorm together with me. And um, he was like a madrich, but he was not a real madrich. He was more of a mashpia. And uh, basically, I, I ran the canteen in the yeshiva at that time. And um, he uh, he had uh, this knack of making a siyum on either a Masechta of Bavli or Yerushalmi or a Seder Mishnayis or Tanakh or the Sifra, the Sifri. Uh, one of these things, almost I think five, at least five nights a week. And we'd have him come. We'd get a million of the guys together, a bottle of cola and uh, some Half moon cookies, as they call them, these hadar biscuits with the chocolate coated on one side. If we really had a schuss, we'd have a Stella Doro cookie, but we shouldn't mention that, I guess, in public forums. But uh, uh, it was just unbelievable to see somebody who would play ball with you. But as soon as it was Seder time, five minutes before Seder, he was off the court and he was, you know, freshening up to go back to the base medrash and learn. There was it, there was no monkey business about him. In other words, there was this ability to interact with us and to inspire us and show that you could be a normal guy with the, the backgrounds we had, and that you at the same time have that connection and that shi'ifas and the desire to learn Torah and to understand Hashem's Torah and to connect Hashem's Torah. There was a couple things though that uh, I remember the. Uh, at a certain point in time, my sisters were pretty frayed. And uh, he went to Yushalayim and he picked me up a pair of tzitzis. I said, oh, that's so nice. I could have bought the tzitzis. No, no, I, I got valis strings and I tied them for you. And he like explained to me what the hitter was, how he tied it and whatever. And I was so, so touched by that act of chashivas, of just understanding that here's a kid in need and 
he might, it'll inspire him to appreciate the mitzvah more. And uh, it really made such an impression on me that I basically took that upon myself to do that afterwards for other Bachram. And there's a whole, uh, we have over every year, probably about four or 500 pairs of tzitzes are given to Bachram Nishiva or their friends, alumni. And, and it's all started from that one Maisa. But another thing that also that uh, I think it was the summer of eighty one or 80, summer of eighty two that uh, he was in Cap Maganov that that year even though he usually was in State Hemed but he was in Maganov and he he called me from camp he called me time difference to ask how I was doing you know give me physic and to, you know make sure that I didn't fall too much being re exposed to California and all that that entails. And I think that personal aspect to him was really what was mashlim, all the idyllic uh, aspects of his Torah shifas and what he was able to accomplish with his, you know, famed uh, three finger or whatever. He would have one finger on Tosfos and one on Rashi, and the rest in the middle of the Gemara. And he, he just his voracious appetite for Torah it wasn't just a, you know, to be yitzayin. He, he learned it to understand the sugya and has it over the whole sugya. He, he went through a cheshbon. It was, it was re-viewing the entire sugya together with Rashi and Tosfos. It, was, it wasn't just reading it through. It was understanding it and re-understanding it and thinking things out and asking questions. And, and if you ever ask him a question, he says, oh, that's a good question. You know, you really got a good passion. Um, but uh, you know, it, it was, he would also come to Yushalayim with us. Uh, I remember a couple times we needed a, a ride. I think it was two Yushalayim. And he says, okay, give, give me five minutes and we'll get a ride. I said, what are you doing? He sat down, took out a Gemara, and was going through the daf. He says, there's going to be a cab before I finish the daf. And sure enough, there was a guy. I said, what, what kind of school is it? He says, it's not a school. It's Yitzhahar doesn't want me to learn. I have a Yitzhahar. Yitzhahar doesn't want me to learn. So he's going to try to stop me. So this way we got it right. But uh, you know, that was part of his realistic aspect and, and, and not having being pretentious, not thinking that he's a malach, uh, or he probably was, but he would, would hide any of his godless. He was not machzik tov. He, he didn't consider himself greater because this is just who he is. This is He's just doing his job. It's like you, you thank a fireman for saving somebody's life. He's, this is just my this is my job. I'm just doing my job. So he felt that this is his job. He didn't consider what he did to be special and extra. Um, and he kept connection with many many of the alumni over the years. And when he made it his chasana for his daughter, the first child he was zocha to to marry, and the only one. So many uh, alumni came to visit and. Uh, always were there to help him in his endeavors. And especially, he was not just a Rebbe in Torah, he was a Rebbe also in Menchlechai. He was a Rebbe, and I think that that's, uh, the Gaonis, uh, I think that uh, he, I, I don't think he would ever consider that his own, even though he worked, he worked hard. But the Menchlechai, he couldn't deny it. And, uh, and I think that everybody who knew him would agree, and uh, Imamish made such a difference to all the boys that knew him. And he was in the, the dorms of Neve, I think, since 1978, 
77 or 78 till 1993. It's about 17, 16, 17 years. He was together with a Asbacher. And I remember my Rabbi Yaakov would say, stay the summer. I would stay the summer also to, to at least to Tishabov, you know, to, to learn. And he was, we were together in the dorms. We'd get together and at night and to learn something and, and schmooze and connect. And um, it's a tremendous loss. I mean, I was, just a one little mice, uh, just a, this mental effect. Uh, uh, the last, last few years, we davened together, and uh, he was the Makri and I was the Baltakea. And uh, anytime he'd make me go back and do a set over, the few years that I remember him, you know, making me do that, he would come over and ask me, he says, you know, really, we probably didn't need to do that, but I just had such nerve in, I was like a little bit, now, just in case, let's let's do it again. He wants to make me feel like, no, you did it right. You were good. He didn't want to make me feel that when he had to correct me. And I, I think he was right every time. But, uh, you know, it's uh, he didn't want to make me feel that I did anything wrong. Such a concern and care as a beautiful living Torah, living Torah and muster and everything together. So, uh, hopefully that uh, we can be mechazek. Uh, his memory and Hashem should be useless for all of us. The night before Rabbi Huda was Nifter, uh, Eric Sternberg, an Avey alumni from 89, 90, he came to dedicate a Sefer Torah for his father. And he knew that Rav Landi was having a, a mobility issues. And, uh, and he decided he's going to take the Sefer there so that Rabbi Huda could write some of the last letters in the Sefer Torah, and not to be him to come to Beit Shemesh the next night for the Hachnasa Sefer Torah. So he came the night, he brought a whole million of people over there, and uh, they asked him, what what letters would you like to, to write? He said, if there's something with Yehuda here in the last column, and it said, the L'chol Eretz Naftali, L'chol Eretz Yehuda, and Ad Hayam HaAcharon, and that's what he wrote, Yehuda Ad Yamacharon. And Rashi, of course, brings down Al Tikri Ad Yamacharon El Ad Yom Ha'acharon to your last day, to Moshe Bain's last day. And it was a bit of a foreshadowing because that night was the night before the same halachic day that he was Nifter on. The writing, he was, I always considered him as the antidote to the Yetzirah because the Yetzirah's name is Sam Aleph Lamed. Sin Maseches Ein Lasos, and Yehuda said, "I'm Dafka to make Siyum, and I would call him a Baal Siyum." And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why that uh, he was Nifter with the last mitzvah in the Sefer Torah, see the Sefer Torah, and being Messiah of Sefer Torah, and being Messiah, his life together at a Yamach and at Yomacharon, and something that I had the schus to learn. Uh... Uh, after night seder, I don't know if the, the Rosh Hashiva, the Mashkiach remembers, but I had the schuz to learn with him um, for a year or, or in in Miami, and uh, it was wonderful to be able to be uh, welcomed into the warm, incredible home of uh, Harav Agoyin, uh, of Chaim Israel Blumenfeld, and being welcomed into his home meant not only being welcomed at the table, but also welcomed into his incredible history and and gishmak. And um, 
and uh, he probably doesn't remember me as much as I remember him, but I am definitely as uh, uh, I, as Hubert Humphrey would say, uh, Rev Blumenfeld, I'm pleased as punch uh, that you are here with us, uh, especially that that Shmeichel, uh, Rabbi Yaakov uh, was mentioning to me how old we all are. But uh, the Rabbeinu Shalom, the Rananus of of dealing with with Bochrim is definitely uh, indicated by your tzuras upon him. And uh, if you would please uh, share with us uh, uh, divrei harocha for the nifter. Disadvantage. Um, um, my wife isn't well. I spend most of the time in Adasa Hospital. Um, it's it's been. Um, I myself had an operation two days ago, and um, and uh, and uh, I like to blame it on uh, Corona, but I, I've also forgotten. Probably should be able to tell over many many stories, but I, unfortunately I, I forgot. But I, I just I just want to say a few words because Rabbi Huda, was very very. Dear to us, I remember so clearly. He would sit in the base medrash, and his finger would go through the Gomorrah. It's also Tulsa's in the but his finger would go across. We couldn't read the Gomorrah. We couldn't read it as fast as he went, but he wasn't reading. He was learning. He wasn't reading. He was learning. For 19 years, he learned in our base medrash. He wasn't reading. And, and, and he knew everything that he learned. I, I, I mean, not just Gamora Rashi, Tosas, Menachasinov, every Menachasinov on that day. He, he, he knew it. He knew it. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. And I remember how much the Talmudim enjoyed the Megaseum. And he would make a seal very, very often, several times a week. We would make a seal, we would get some Mazonis, we would get some 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 friends for everybody. And, and they, they they loved it. And they would go to him and they would ask him a kasha. They ask him a kasha. And even sometimes they were good kashas. Some of them were very good. And sometimes they were nonsense. Really nonsense. But he would listen to what they had to say and he would explain it to them. And when he finished explaining it to them, each boy would think, each boy would think that I'm allowed it. I'm allowed it. Right? And and when you think that you're allowed it, that gives you an inspiration to become allowed it. And that's what happened. That's what happened. He would he would answer the questions, even if the question was from left field way out, he would answer it. As if it was a, a real kasha, they would explain it with patience. They would explain it, and, and the fellow thought to himself, "Wow, I have shaykes to this lambdas. 
And when you think that you can become a lambda, you become a lambda. And that's what he did. And the 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 seum that he would make, the, the boys love to go to, to the seum. Um For 19 years, Rebbe's would go to the States to collect money for yeshiva or to recruit Talmidim. Rebbe's also had family obligations. But Rebbe Yehuda was sitting there in the base medrash. He was Kavua. He was the pillar of the base medrash. For 19 years, he sat in the base medrash and he, he was the pillar of the base medrash. Did we know? That we had a gadol in our midst? It's a good question. Mechol Sarasken Shlita said that Rabbi Huda knew things that only a Reb Chaim Zrikon Sadek could know. He knew it. He said, do we know that we had a Reb Chaim in our midst? No. No, we didn't. I remember. I remember one thing, many things, but I remember that that Meishi Baruch Obori Dagesha. That that was his thing. That was his thing. Was it the fourth Akafa? Azim Chastara, right? He would sit there turning page after page after page, counting. So he said a hundred times Meishi Baruch Obori Dagesha, and that way, if we would maybe forgot to say it and weren't sure whether we said it or not, we could be summoned on the fact that we said it a hundred times, right? And he would turn each page and each page, right? I suspect that he, he learned the pages as he's turning back. <laughs> he could do that. He could do that. He learned the pages as he's turning back. What, what does it, you know, it means that Abacha was coming a, a little bit uh, distant, not... Uh, not uh, necessarily, uh, in those days, they were probably from more modern background. Many of them really didn't have much connection to Torah and mitzvahs yet, right? And and here's somebody who's a, a Talmud Chacham, who can answer any question that they have, who can, who, who, he, can he can ask that, he can ask anything and he knows it. And also, he knows all the scores. I don't know. When, I, I I have no idea when he, he how he found out. He knows all the scores, so we tell the, the boys in the morning, basketball, baseball, what he knew everything, and uh, he could go out in the field and and, and 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 play with them. You know what that means? That 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 someone who's such a talented chacham and still he's he's a fellow. Yeah. We never had someone like him. I don't think we'll ever again have someone like him. He was so special. He was so unique. Again, I say, I've forgotten a lot. I like to blame it on Corona, whatever it is. But please, Rabbi Yehuda, I ask, be mindful me. Be mindful me for not doing you justice. Be mindful all of us. 
for not giving you the kavod that you deserve, that you deserved. The kavod a gadol deserves. May your memory continue to inspire all of us, all the alumni that were zeichah, that had the schos of knowing you. May it be inspire all of us, right? We're fortunate enough to know you. Inspire us to learn more Torah and mitzvahs. May your memory be blessed. Rabbi Shua Eichenstein, Shlita, um, it's a, a tremendous chus uh, that you've agreed. I know the nifter was was the Rashiva's Talmud, and if the Rashiva could speak to us for Divrei Harocha of 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 Rav Landi. As a bocher, was a very very special bocher. I would like to be magdim something. Rabbi Yoyno says, the Mishnah is a chocham mikol odom. So he brings Rabbi Yoyno there on the Mishnah of it says, the Pshat is chocham is a midah. A midah of a tzimoyin for chochmah. The first thing of a chocham is that he wants to know. The midah of chochmah. As a bocha, you saw a special midah of a tzimoyin for chochmah. Is rotten to know, to, to accomplish, to know more mesechtes, more mesechtes, was unusual. That's something I think was one of the ikliyasayus of his life. Is simoyin to know chokhmah. It's, it's a midah, and and it, 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 that was his basic thing, to know, to have a idea in something. It's it's unusual. You see a bochu with such a meter of a tzimoyin for chokhmah. You just want to know, finish a message, know them, chasa again, again. I think this was the even apino of his life. How many times he has a chance over and over and over again to know and to know and to know. And the mayor was nisrachi to all types of different ideas that are connected to Torah. It was a tzimoyin to know the meat of chokhmah. That's Agdor, I think it's Agdor. An Emerson and Mid of Chochem. And the Mary was a very big number Chochem. He, he learned so much in knowing and chazering. Very, very unusual to find a Bochem in his age to have that Mid of Chochem the way he had. And I think that was his Yisod and Chaim. And as I bought his Torah, and wherever he went, it was in Telstone, this, how he grew. And you have this Mid of Chochem, you grow. Growing is a big yisod. Torah is the correct megadol. Like the Goyen says, it's megadol. The same way baby drinks milk. It's not like satisfying the satisfaction of being hungry. It's the, the growing. The milk grows. Torah is the correct megadol the person. And he was megadol. The Torah was megadol him. He grew and grew and grew from his dimodat Torah. And that's a real sin of something that's growing. You see somebody growing, you know he's not really steigling. Not just I'm learning. He's growing. Every day you, you see somebody growing bigger and bigger and bigger. That was his usage.
I think of the sort of his chayim. That's why he was Marbet's Torah. He wrote so many svarim. It was full of, full of Torah and, and Yerushalayim and everything. And it's a gewaldike, gewaldike midah. And may the Ebesh to help him, everything, left his ration, everybody that knew him. That's an Ili Neshama that should continue his life over and over. His children learn from the Drochim, and his whole spirit learn from him. That's the MS Ili Neshama. I've known Rabbi Yehuda since, um, <clears throat> since I'm 13 years old, Camp Stechamed. I went there for two summers. And at that point in time, he was famous for how many times he learned through Shas. And I think at that, the first summer was, he was at 38. And then he was at 51 the next summer. And I was like, wow, this, uh, <laughs> he's got to go through 30, 40 blood every single day. That's what he was famous for. Uh, when I got to Neve, and uh, Rabbi Manlukorn somehow came in possession of a, of a library of books outside the general curriculum. I spent time in there reading, and I uh, got into some conversations with, with Rabbi Landi, and I said to myself, wait a second, he knows this stuff too? And um, just the, the you know, any question that I had, he knew, he knew everything. And I just want to fast forward to last year, I had a, uh, a conversation with him. He called me, we spoke for, for a very long time. Um, and he was telling me that he was that he was doing a PhD, and uh, I he took some classes and 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 um, you know that's my field too. And we had a very interesting uh, conversation. Here's a guy, I don't know if he was 60 years old, that was going and constantly. Three, What field was that? Just for people to understand what field. Oh, so he, he was doing a PhD in archeology span and, uh, but he was also taking some classes in academic Talmud, which is my field. Um, and I think what has to be pointed out here is not that, that he knew the standard stuff His he knew everything. And the reason is because his curiosity was so amazing. He was so curious about everything in the world that that's what, that's what drove him. So yes, he did his 40 blot a day, but he was curious about anything, any area of knowledge that, that he was exposed to. And uh, it takes that type of curiosity to, to become a, a, a goal. Doing it. I think one of the most remarkable things about Rabbi Huda was though he traveled the world and he was so broad, <clears throat> and he was in so many different places, museums all over the world. He was in the dormitories in the Beisio for, he told me once that he was there for 18 years and it was Ben Shmanasri, and he needed to be there for 18 years to get married. But there are many, there, there's, there were so many um, influences on him in the world. You would think that a person who was so broad and had been so many different places and saw so many different things, it would have had some sort of an effect on the essence of who he was. And I, when you went to be Menachem Ovo, and you were by Yehuda's house, and you walked in and you saw his children, and you saw his family, and you saw his Rebetzin, and you saw the Kedusha and the Tahara, and you saw her pure, and he was untouched. He could go anywhere, be with anyone, learn with anyone, and I don't think it touched at all that 
kids that he had in his neshama. I think it was one of the most remarkable things about him. He is his kpeidon minhagim in the yeshiva, the minhagim yeshiva, and it had to be the way it was from previous generations. And uh, that's the way he lived his life. And as much as he was able to go out and to give and to mix with everyone, but he said that that, you know, that young bocher, Bikadusha Vitahara. He was really, and that I think, extremely remarkable. Special just to be on this to be on the Hevra here because there's so much there's so much Nadvanus and there's so much um goodwill and there's so many good people who are Mashpia. And the thing about Ravlandi is that we know that as much as he gave, there was so much more that he could have given. It happens to be I I um I have an admission. I never went to Nevei. I hope you're mocham me. Um, but, but, but everybody knew, everybody knew Rav Landi, or they knew him as Landi. He was a, he was a legend in the, in the world, you know? Um, and then I had this course of meeting him when I was in LA. He gave a, a few, several times he led groups in, um, in Los Angeles in the museums. We went to the Getty, the villa, we went to the, another museum and, and like his, his familiarity was Lahafli. And then he also gave up his time. I had a lot of private conversations with him. Um, and I actually, I teach Yirmiyahu using his Sefer, his incredible Sefer, um, English Sefer Nirmiyahu. Uh, I'll just share with you one vignette and one, one vignette and one regish. He gave about a half hour, 40 minute presentation with slideshow to my 10th grade I think 10th to 11th grade based girls um, with all the, you know, with all the, the different slides. And um, one of the girls said, you know, is it Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadrezzar? As you know, in the, uh, there you see in the, took him various times, he's referred to as both, right? Nebuchadnezzar and sometimes Nebuchadrezzar. So, so Ravlandi, I think he gave an answer that I think only the only the only person in the whole world that could have given it was him. <laughs> he said it's a very good question. He said in the recent I don't even remember what in the recent unearthing of the uh, various you know whatever they whatever they found where they found it in Babylonia whatever it is the the actual name as per this the, the stone was Nebuchadrezzar. That's the real his real name was Nebuchadrezzar. You know, like. <laughs> like, but Chazal, you know, like, but the Hebraicized version was the Bukhanes. Like, he was, he had the um, <coughs> so many worlds. He had the ear of the British Museum um, curators, and they they had his phone number, and he had the entree to Panovich, and he had you know Yudias in archaeology that was incredible. And it, it, there was there's, there's nobody like him. He, there was nobody like him. The svar the svarim that he wrote were un were unwritable by anybody else. Nobody I I teach Yirmiyahu. <clears throat> nobody could nobody could write that sefer. I'm teaching Yoshua. Every book on Yoshua that has maps. 
and has contemporary information, they all cite Rav Landi's Sefer Archashel Eretz Yisrael. He, they just came out, just coming out to English. He was in total control of the material Hebrew and English. And he said to me, his English safer is better than the Hebrew. Why? Because it came out later. So there's more material. <laughs> it's like, he was constantly being mechadish. I, I asked you before, was, was he the actual, did he actually write the Absolutely. words? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote Yermio and he wrote Yeshua, Hebrew and English. Mm-hmm. He had somebody who worked with him also because he had editors. He was in total control in Hashkacha, even the last week of his life. He was pushing and pushing and pushing. My friend Amir Goldstein so he got, a, got, a, got, a, got a note from him saying that Yeshua is around the corner. <laughs> it's Mamash out. His English Yeshua is out. I have the Hebrew in. I have the Hebrew one. But the English is like Mamash out. I was speaking to his Rebetzin during the Shiva. And even before the Shiva, we, I was also did his, we visited him in, in Telstone. And what Rav Falk said is so poignant because as everybody knows, the chasm between the world of the scholar and the world of Torah is sometimes quite chasmic. And his capacity to, to live in, to live with the Tamimus and the Shlemus is in, an incredible, incredible thing. Bridge the gap and to live with the Tamimus and the Shlemus is amazing. But that wasn't, I think his Iker Godless wasn't that. Um, you know, I think Rosalvechik says the difference between Shabbos and Yontiv is that it, I think he says it this way: that Shabbos we go to Ribbon Shalom, right? The Kadosh Baruch Hu, we get to Nisham Yisera, and Yontiv comes to us. There's no thing as Kabbalah Yontiv. We're Kabbalah Shabbos. When it comes, I, I think that's the way he says. It. I don't remember exactly if that's the right duality. I, I, I think that with Rav Landi, his capacity to his his greatness was everybody felt comfortable, which was an inc- incredible thing. But but the last year of his life, I don't know if people have this, he knew he was facing a mortal illness. Number one, he never gave up. He never gave up. Number two is, this, to me, this is the most amazing thing. He, whenever you speak to him, even if it was towards the end of his life, it was never about him. It was, it's an amazing thing. He was facing, he was facing you know, mortality. And I spoke to him a, a few occasions. I'll be, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Okay, let's move on. Like his, the, the, the total lack of self-pity, the total focus on mission and other, which he lived that way his whole life, didn't become less in the last year of his life. It became Adara, became more. I have to finish the Sefer, you know. And his wife was such a partner, such a partner. You know, his wife, his wife, you know, she's um, from the Baspais of the Chazonish, right? She's, I think her grandfather was a Chazonish's brother, something like that. Exactly have the details. Her appreciation and their, their shutfus and his sense of mission was, is so lahafli, and that's not a function of his brilliance. You know, that's it. his brilliance is br- his brilliance as 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 Ray Blumenfeld said he he moved his fingers and he read quicker than and he was learning right that that's that's his gift but his ability to not go to that place of okay what's going to be what's going to be but his ability to live with the surin and to be soville 
was was such a lesson, I think, for all of us. It's such a lesson that we can all that we can it's not just to read his Torah, it's to learn, it's it's to take his midas. And those midos to me, that's the midos trumios admaod, admaod. Great it's such a great loss for Kla Yisrael. It's 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 such a great law. It's 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 a loss because this was a person who literally had a list of svarim he was going to write, and it's it wasn't just and I'm not depending it wasn't just another safer on this tchum that somebody else is going to write. Nobody else are going to write those svarim. If I if like Rosalvechik says about the about the uh, the kin of hacharishu many. In, in Tishuba, the, the loss of the Balei Tosis wasn't just another, it was nobody was going to produce what they produced. It, it's, such a, it's such a loss. It's such a loss for Kali Yisra. And it's a loss for the people who live in both worlds. You know, I would have private conversations with him about so how do you handle the 166 years? Where do you hold in that? You know, many people, this was mentioned before by the fellow with the academic Talmud, Many people struggle with that. He didn't. He 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 figured he figured out how to live but also it, he had the knowledge. Akarish Baruchu was was goze that we shouldn't have any more of that. It's a very very great loss. Very great loss. You know, there's no question about it that uh, you know that that you have kept that are unmatchable, but we. I, I, but, but as we say, this forum and what we say about him, I think, can inspire, if perhaps not Landy's, but on the derach, you know, the going was nifter, and that was the that supposedly was the the day, the year the radal was born. Mm-hmm. So the radal is nish the going, but the radal is ganz fine. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, when the radal b'seif yomov, you had Rabbi Yosef Sachari Stern, right? And then you had, you know, you, you I, I think Rav, Rav Brander without dousing any of your regish Klal Yisrael, and I think Rav Landy would probably be the first one to say that Klal Yisrael, we're, we are the Amasefer, and I think Landy's Farm can be a dogma for other brilliant young men um, and maybe not to do it in that same, with, with the same shlemus, but at least to, to, to create the model. Gershon Shalom leads to Moshe Idel. you know what I'm saying? You do have, and, and, and Gershon, the Rav said about Gershon Shalom that he has a cup that comes around every hundred years. I, I heard this from Rav Mordechai Furestein, that Gershon, that the Rav said about Gershon Shalom, that he had a cup that would come out every hundred years. And again, again, I know I'm, 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 I'm mixing Trumim, but, um, you know, and, and but I, I think that, as you say, re, you're right, the Svarim are perhaps less uh, instructive than they might be, because I I had the sense he was mitzamtim himself in the Maimorim that he wrote in Halacha and the things that he was writing will cover the Bar Mitzvah. I had a sense that he, you know, he, you know, the, w- people compared him to Rav Chaim Kanievsky before. Rav Chaim didn't have any uh, sense of tzimtzum, as you can see from uh, from the Derech Amuna and even from his Svarim on Masechtas Ketanos. But I got the sense from what I was learning, Rav Landy's stuff, just again very superficially, that he was holding back a little bit, and may, he wanted his shtiklach to be short. The ones mm-hmm. that the, the ones mm-hmm. that he printed in various Torah journals, uh, they were very short. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, all I guess, I, I guess all I'm trying to say is, you know, let, let's leave a, a possibility for for emulation 
if not necessarily duplication. My friends in Rebbeim, this was a really a, a, a tremendous uh, moment with so many of us who maybe weren't even able to attend or hear the recordings at the Leviah, the Hespedim, until afterwards that we can come together now live and uh, pay a tribute to Landi and to uh, allow his stories to live on. When I showed up to Neveah in 92, my first introduction to Landi, when I walked into the dormitory, was that he was playing Tetris on the Nintendo Game Boy. Now, for those of you, I'm sure everyone knows Tetris, but for the few of you out there who don't know Tetris, it's a game that involves certain shapes where the shapes are dropping from the top of the screen and they have to be inserted into a puzzle in a very specific manner and within a certain time period. And Landi, at that time, was obsessed with this game and playing it with the boys. And I want to just say something. We all know the story with the Kutzker when a Chassid traveled to get through the, the, the difficult winter to come to Kutzk, and he comes to the Kutzk, and he says, I traveled across far land in Poland in the difficult winter to go ahead and to, and to find God. And the Kutzker responded back, and go back to where you came from. He says, God is everywhere. He goes, but if you came to Kutzk to find yourself, you can stay as long as you want. And with that, he went ahead and he stayed and became a big Chassid of the Kutzker. Nevei Tzion was a place where Bachram came to find themselves. But sometimes finding yourself is not such a simple thing, especially when there's many pieces to your puzzle. And many of us came to Neve with many, many different pieces. We have a family component. We have maybe uh, a financial component. Some of us maybe had mental health or physical components. We had different components. We had a schooling component, an education component. We had all these components, pieces, shapes that needed to be applied in a very specific manner and in a very specific application. Ravlandi wasn't just a Goyen in his ability to go through Shas. He wasn't just a Goyen in his ability to retain and give over archaeological knowledge and any of the type of academics that he did. Landi was a remarkable problem solver. And the thousands of hours that he gave to Bahram, standing on the porch in front of Nevei Tzion, even when the boy is sitting there with a cigarette or dangling by his lips or whatever it is, Rivlandi used that problem-solving skill to penetrate the, even the roughest, toughest boy with the biggest clippers around their neshamas. Rivlandi would peel those clippers and would make those pieces fit in and to make it right. I just want to conclude with one more little short story. Um, a tzaddik... I forget the name right now. Maybe Rabbi Slavin knows the story. He can jump in. And there were some of the others, you know the story. You can tell the name of the tzaddik. He felt that it was, it was, uh, he was dying, and he called his mechutin to come in and daven for him. He says, I'm dying. It's the end. He goes, I need you to promise me that you're going to take care of the yeshiva. And mechutin said to him, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine, but I'll promise you I'll take care of the yeshiva. He says, then I want you to promise me you're going to take care of my wife and children. He says, you're not going to die, but don't worry. I'll take care of your wife and children. He goes, and I want you to promise to me that when it comes to Yom Yoroim Davin and we sing Ein Kisva, I want you to sing my niggin. And with that, as Machutin said, my niggin for Ein Kisva. And the Machutin said to him, he goes, I have no problem taking care of the yeshiva. And I have no problem taking care of your wife and your children, making sure everything's going to be okay. But one thing I cannot do, he goes, I cannot sing your niggin for Ein Kisva. Only you can sing your niggin for Ein Kisva. We all have our own niggin, and Rav Landi had a beautiful niggin. It was a love song to Hashem. 
in everything that he did in his Avoidus Hashem, it was a love song. Only Landi could be Landi. And I think that that's an important akut, and not just because this time of year when we're, when we're, when we're saying the Ein Kispa over and over again, and we're contemplating our lives, and we're contemplating our, our goals, and we're trying to grow in our Avoidus Hashem, and our Kirva Hashem, and Tevek Hashem, but you need role models who have beautiful voices and who've shaped thousands of people to go ahead and to and to be a, 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 a chazan for all of us, a chazan for himself, and teach us how to be our own chazans. Neve was a place that helped me find myself, and I'm always truly dedicated to Rav Landi for, um, for everything that he did. My Rebbe Heshi Grothman once said, did you ever look in the eyes of an 80-year-old guy? You see, and I'm sorry to use the word guy. I know it's a little sharp for some people, but... You see 80 years of, like, Wheel of Fortune and 80 years of, like, bagels and cream cheese and 80 years of crossword puzzles in the New York Times. You don't really see the same things that you would see when you look in the eyes of a tzaddik. You have to ask yourself, how do you want your oigalach to look when you look at a, a, a person at 80 years old? And when you look at a tzaddik, you see oigalach that have been through shas, oigalach that have been through mishnayas, oigalach that are filled with gemilus chasadim, oigalach that have changed lives. Landi may not have reached 80 years old, but his, but his eyes spoke, spoke stories and stories and stories of the neshamas that he changed, of the gemaras that he learned, of the tours that he gave, of the terrific uh, role he played as a father and as a husband. I hope one day my oigalach will look like Landi's oigalach. I hope that I'll be zeichet to sing. I think I'm trying to sing my own song, but I know that I can look at Landi as a role model to sing the old song. And I, and I, I hope that uh, that through a little bit, through everyone speaking today and through everything that Landi did, that uh, we can continue to do this more and more for Landi and for other important figures in our life. And Landi's, uh, Landi should just continue to be a source of inspiration and chizmah. I think Rivlandi would have enjoyed this. I'm sure he did. This was very nicely done by everyone contributing their own pieces. I much appreciate it. I just want to say the thing I remember most, and it used to make me laugh every time. Does anybody remember his Tanakh news updates? How's it going today in Tanakh? Oh, it's bad for the Amorites. They got, uh, you know, they lost. Remember slavery? Like Josh Jacobs and I used to go all the time. to him. He says, oh, not good for the Jews. <laughs> they, they're turning away from God. It doesn't look good for them. They better, they better fix themselves. And it was like he made a news report every day. So, the, you know, Yutz is like us. He would make you know, Tanakh entertaining because we were like, you know, uh, we don't learn anything, but he, he would say like Tanakh news reports. Only like, you know, a genius can make something that, uh, you know, like Nevi'im Achronim, that's like Chinese to us. You know, I wouldn't know what to turn, you know, to turn it upside down. But he would say, ooh, I hope to, you know, and every day there was a different news report. He must have finished a different safer every day of Tanakh because it was like always a different safer if you go to him for the, because we didn't have like news, we didn't have internet back then. So we had like Londi to make up stuff, you know, to tell us from Tanakh, the news reports. I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious every time we used to see him. Well, Alicia, without, uh, you know, again, having not known him and not necessarily, um, uh, but it seems it's very much in line with what the Kuzari writes or Budalevi writes, that the purpose of Divrei Nevi'im is to be machasik, the essential messages of the Torah. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you need, sometimes you need to go out in order to be machazik, the essential. Um, you can't just keep on uh, hitting the same point over. The different avium, the, the color, the aspect, uh, they're there to strengthen the key principles of, of Shemir Samitzvah's Amun and Rabbi Nishayu and Bechiras Yisrael. So if somebody is able to to make them come alive and is able to use them as 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 a hechitimza to come back to the aside, so that that is that they they're actually really that's the purpose that's the reason why the the different are there. So it seems like as, as you say, it sounds like Avlandi was definitely the the kiyum of of divrei in that way of at least pu- putting pushing them to their to their ultimate. From my friends, the Leierfelds. Uh, when they came back from uh, Eretz Yisrael, uh, and, and I was chavruses with Moshe, and he kept on talking about Landi, Landi, Landi. Um, and that's the first time I heard about him, because he he didn't stop speaking about him. But um, in those days, we didn't have Oitzer HaChochma. Uh, I did a little search on Oitzer HaChochma yesterday, and if anyone wants to go through, take the effort of putting the Nifter's name, you'll see wonderful uh, hits, wonderful Maimorim and Divrei Teira, that you can find. And I think that would be, as we know, uh, the, the greatest chus, I'm sure, Lavlandi would would tell us, is to learn the Divrei Torah, as Rav Yaakov said, to make them alive. I think Rav Landi does come alive so much in his Torah, even the symptom of his powers, the fact that he could say a lot more. There's, uh, I just, again, what I looked at, and I only looked at it very, very briefly, but there is a, 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 a some very nice pieces in the journal that he that he came out for his, uh, for the Bar Mitzvah Boy Chaim that are relevant to uh, Yontif, uh, to, to Simchas Teira, a very nice piece. Uh, and again, you could, if if I think the Devreim Heinen Zechroinim learned the Teira of Ravlandi, and you'll see not only his midos and his his hekif, uh, you'll see that avas hatayra that the Rosh Hashiva spoke about that cheshek Chachma, Even by the way, pieces that he wrote when he was thirteen years old in uh, Yeshivas Itri with Seirim, he has a piece there on uh, on uh, a lomdisha piece on chometz where he's miyashiv uh, where he's masber machlekes the Rambam and Raivad. There's a piece that he wrote when he was fifteen years old on whether there's a din meila bedomim. And uh, those are the pieces which I think reflect what the Rashiva said. Um, and uh, they, uh, if if having this program uh, can inspire people to to not only try to emulate that midas tovus as much as possible, but I think hopefully uh, people should look into and expand uh, their das of Ravlandi, and in that way Ravlandi will live uh, within us even more than in the zechroinus. Ravlandi as the as the Anak of Torah, Ravlandi as the as the Boki, Ravlandi as the Oyev Torah, Ravlandi as the Balmidus Otsum. It was. A... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.